0: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. To millions of people across the world,
1: Aretha Franklin is the queen of soul. But who should be crowned the king of her estate?
2: As long as it's in the testator's handwriting and it has to be dated, and Ms. Franklin would have to have signed that someplace on the document.
1: Aretha didn't have an official will, and now her sons are telling two different stories about who should lay claim to her multi-million dollar estate. This is The Daily J. I'm Zach Clark. There is no questioning Aretha Franklin's mark on the music world. The Queen of Soul has sold over 75 million albums, and in 1987 she became the first woman to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that's not to mention her work as a civil rights activist. She was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom in
3: 2005. But things weren't always easy for Aretha. Aretha's very old-school entertainer, like Chuck Berry, Little Richard, you know, people of that era, you know, try to get paid in cash, have the handbag on the stage. I was just going
1: to say, that was a thing that she would walk up to the piano, put her handbag down, and then go.
3: Yeah, and so, you know, and then have the band members come to your room. So it's very old-school mindset that was somewhat distrustful, and in some cases rightfully so, of management of record companies, of promoters, of these people you just didn't trust at the time because they had been messed over by them before. The other thing I would add here, too, is Aretha did not have much in the way of formal management. She had husbands, brothers, who were her her managers. She didn't often have a formal manager.
1: That right there is the familiar voice of famed Detroit music journalist Gary Graff. And speaking of familiar voices, I can't talk Aretha Franklin without calling Detroit historian Ken Coleman, who backed up what Gary said, agreeing that Aretha was far from alone in this situation.
4: I've done stories over the years and heard personal stories over the years with artists who were essentially robbed, robbed of their services, maybe not paid timely for an event, maybe not paid at all. I've seen events where Aretha Franklin or I've talked to people at events where Aretha Franklin... You know, certainly demanded a payment up front because of a mistrust about the ability to get paid. That's something that is not unique to Franklin's experience. That was black folks in a lot of situations. The music industry is a very ruthless industry. I think at times, unfortunately, Aretha Franklin might have been a victim of that. And that's why she operated in the way she did.
1: So is this earned distrust of the system, why, that when Aretha Franklin died in 2018, she didn't have a formal will? The battle for Aretha's $80 million estate began today in an Oakland County courtroom. Three of Aretha Franklin's four sons are battling over handwritten notes, one in 2010, the other in 2014. Both were found in her home in 2019. So what makes a person's will legitimate?
2: In order to make a valid will, the testator, that's the person who makes the will, has to know what he or she is doing. So if somebody is under coercion, maybe they're heavily medicated, don't understand, maybe they're mentally incompetent, or maybe a relative has exerted undue influence on the person, then that is a challenge to a will. A valid will, it has to be in writing. It has to be signed by the testator, and it has to be witnessed by at least two different individuals. Now, it's my understanding in Ms. Franklin's case that what's being proposed are two different holographic wills, which means they're not formally typewritten, and she may not have signed them at the bottom, and there may not be two witnesses.
1: That right there is the voice of Mark Clark. He is a Metro Detroit lawyer who has worked on probate law for over 40 years. Well, that's not all he is, I guess.
4: Good afternoon, McLean, my Jack
1: and Clark. Uh, hi, Cheryl, it's Zach. Is my dad available by chance?
4: Yeah, hold on one second, okay? Thank you. You're welcome.
1: Hello? Dad. Zach. How are you? I'm well, how are you? I'm doing really well, thanks. for making the- Now, Mark, our lawyer-slash-dad, says that around here, those informal or holographic wills, they're okay with conditions.
2: Michigan allows that as long as it's in the testator's handwriting and it has to be dated and Miss Franklin would have to have signed that someplace on the document. It used to be at the bottom, but it, her signature has to appear on the document. So you can have a formal will with the requirements that I mentioned or the informal or holographic will, but they each require that it be in writing. They each require that it be signed by the person making the will, the testator, and the difference between the more formal being that uh, it's witnessed by two different people.
1: So if we're arguing about two pieces of paper, how does a jury decide which one is legit? It's not as if we can ask Ms. Franklin.
2: Maybe there's uh, an issue raised that... Well, that's not her handwriting. So somebody calls in a handwriting expert. Uh, maybe there's a claim that, well, uh, she was ill, she was heavily medicated, she probably didn't know what she was doing. So then you have maybe the doctors, even her treating physicians would come in and testify as to her physical and mental state. I, I, I imagine there are plenty of opportunities uh, for a dispute between the two documents. The judge considers it, somebody else comes in and says, well, wait a minute, that's not the will this is, submits a competing set of documents, a jury has to decide which will, if either, and it's possible neither one of them should be admitted to
0: probate.
1: Mark says that everybody should consider formal wills and trusts. But he also told me that you've probably done more estate planning than you actually realize.
2: If I have a bank account and I add somebody else's name to it with full rights and I pass away, the other person gets my bank account. Married couples often do that with their real estate. If they own their home, if one of them passes away, the survivor automatically owns the home by operation of the other spouse having passed away. Similarly, with insurance policies, 401ks, retirement plans, people engage in estate planning, but they don't think of it as such. They just identify who they want to have the asset. That's a very common occurrence among people. And if you ask them, do you have an estate plan? Well, if they didn't have a will or a trust, they'd probably say no. But actually, they do.
1: The fighting over the estate of Aretha Franklin is pretty wild, but that matches who she was as a person. Not that she was wild, but everything she did was a big deal. When she died in August of 2018, Gary says her funeral was nothing like we've ever seen, at least not here in the States. I don't know if there'll ever be a party in Detroit. There were some controversial moments, sure. But if you look at the guest list and the performances, it was unbelievable.
3: It was, and I was there that day. And from the eight hours of the funeral to the tributes the night before at Shane Park, now the Aretha Franklin Amphitheater, to the internment, it was fitting of a queen. The only thing you can compare it to was what happened with Queen Elizabeth II in London. I still remember the line of pink Cadillacs down the street and just the hours and hours of testimony and performances and say what you will about, as you noted, some of the things that happened during the ceremony, the indescribably extreme love that was expressed for Aretha Franklin as a musician, an artist, and a performer and as a person. Does it matter which of her sons wins the fight over Franklin's estate?
1: Well, of course it does. Why? Because they'll own the rights to the music of one of the most important artists to ever live. In
4: 1985, then-Michigan Governor Jim Blanchard issued a testimonial resolution to Aretha Franklin and pointed out that her voice is a natural resource, and it spoke to the importance of Aretha Franklin's career and tenure as a Michigander and as a recording artist, how important her music was. She was a very important recording artist and, as I've written over the years, a civil rights activist within the city of Detroit state of Michigan and uh, across the country and the world for her efforts to lift up the importance of respecting the dignity of African-American people. She is one who's a very important figure in American society.
1: When it comes to the city of Detroit, few people, if any, mean more to the residents than Aretha Franklin. And while the fight over her estate isn't ideal, it'll do nothing to tarnish the legacy of the Queen of Soul. Today's big thanks go out to Ken Coleman, Gary Graff, and Mark Clark, a.k.a. Dad. Check out WWJnewsradio.com for the top local news stories on demand 24-7. Do you want The Daily J delivered right to you? All you have to do is text WWJ to 20357 and you'll get it instantly. Message and data rates may apply. I'm Zach Clark, and this is The Daily J. Thanks for listening.